Welcome along, I'm Alan Williams and this is the Alan Williams Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 23 of the podcast, I hope you're all well. Today is the weight loss episode, I'm going to give you my top 12 tips for losing weight. In a way, this is the episode I didn't want to record, but it's the one that everybody seems to want me to record. So what you want is what you get. You guys win. I'm going to record it for you and hopefully you'll get something out of it. When I say I didn't want to record it, it's not that I'm very against it or anything like that. It's more that probably initially when I started out, I made my name through weight loss. It was what people knew me for and it's probably still what a lot of people associate me with. I just feel over the last few years, I've developed a lot beyond that. Nowadays, I'm a coach, I'm a writer, I'm an author, I'm a speaker. I do a lot of work in the areas of personal development mindset. And that's where a lot of my passions lie nowadays. So I'm going to do the weight loss one anyway, because I do feel I can bring people benefit. And I know that a lot of people do still associate me with that. And I still run online weight loss courses and all this different stuff. So hopefully it's one that people will get a lot out of. I would say grab your pen and paper at this point, folks, because there's some serious information in this. And I think if you are switched on and you're serious about losing weight, you're going to get a lot from it. If you're just going to listen to the podcast and do nothing, then you're not going to get anything from it. So I would get the pen and paper out, guys, because there's a lot of stuff coming up here that I feel is very beneficial for you. Okay, top 12 tips let's get straight into it the first one is set goals so don't start on your weight loss journey without a plan if you do that you're going to fail the same as you've probably done the last 50 times if you keep doing the same thing over and over you're going to keep getting the same results so let's do things a little bit differently before you even put on the runners what i want you to do is grab a pen and paper and set a very clear goal for yourself so rather than saying i want to lose weight i want you to say the target is i am going to lose x pounds by this date So there's a very, very crystal clear vision. Not I want to lose weight. Put it into numbers. Put an end date on it. So when I'm recording this podcast today, it is the 2nd of October. So let's say, as an example, I am going to lose 10 pounds by the 10th of November. Just an example. But what we've got there is a crystal clear vision. Now we know exactly what the target is. And when you've got that, you'll do an awful lot better than just going out there saying, I want to lose weight. Because with that, there's no pressure on you. When cake has been handed around the canteen, you're just going to take it without thinking about it. But you're going to start questioning things an awful lot more if you've got a target to work towards. If there's something very solid that's important to you, then you're going to do a lot better. So set your goal first. And I would also suggest not just setting goals around weight set process driven goals, set fitness driven goals, something along the lines of maybe I would like to run 5k by Christmas. Again, there's an end date on it. We know when it's going to happen by. So we're working strongly towards something, but we've got something that is beyond the numbers as well. Something that's going to make us do the training, something that's going to make us enjoy the process, something that's going to make us, you know, see that we're getting fitter, stronger, healthier, And we can see progress in that regard rather than just obsessing over numbers. And that's something I'm big on because people do get too hung up on numbers. And if you do that, it's a miserable journey and therefore it's not going to be sustainable. So set a training goal as well, not just a weight loss goal. Set a training goal alongside it if you can. It will be very beneficial. So that's the first thing. Set your goal. Also in relation to goal setting, figure out your why. I talk about this all the time, but if you don't have a why, if you don't have a strong why, you're not going to do well. You're going to fail. I can guarantee you're going to fail if you don't have a strong why. So why are you doing it? What is the reason for losing weight? Why is it important to you? What difference would it make to your life if you were to achieve that goal? Maybe in terms of the way you feel about yourself, maybe your self-esteem, maybe it's your health, maybe it's setting a good example for your kids. Maybe you're in a position where you have to do it. Maybe your doctor has told you. So figure out what your why is. Write down all those reasons why it's important to you. That's the next thing I want you to do. Take your pen and paper, write down the reasons why it's important to you to achieve that goal. And you're going to come back to that when things get tough. 
when the novelty wears off in two or three weeks time initially everybody starts off with gusto everybody can't wait to get out there but that novelty does wear off so what are you going to do then i would say if you've got a strong why you can come back to that and coming back to the why it becomes your driving force and that's important that's why it's important that you've got a strong why rather than just starting off without giving it any thought because if you do that when it gets tough you'll give in when it's raining outside and it's easier to sit on the couch watching EastEnders, that's what you'll do. So that's, again, not been harsh, no judgment in that, but it is important to have a strong why. So figure out that, guys. It's going to be half the battle. Number two, and this is the most important thing of all when it comes to weight loss, so please perk your ears up at this point. The most important thing and the fundamental concept behind weight loss is that you're in a calorie deficit. So you're expending more energy than you're taking in. Calorie deficit, expending more energy than you're taking in. Please take that on board, folks. I know it sounds simple, but that is always the bottom line. And the thing about it is, we've got all these different strategies nowadays in terms of different diets, whether you're going to Slimming World or you're on a ketogenic diet or you're doing intermittent fasting, whatever it is, the underlying principle behind all of them is the same. It's calorie deficit. And that's what they don't tell you a lot of the time because they want you to keep coming back, paying them money. But you need to know for yourself, calorie deficit is all they're doing. They're putting you into a deficit. And all these different things are packaged and wrapped up in different ways, but they ultimately work off the same principle, that you're expending more energy than you're taking in. So that's ultimately what you need to know. That's the bottom line. It's the single most important thing I'm going to say in this podcast. So please take note, calorie deficit. Without that, you ain't going to lose weight. The funny thing is here, people will tell me all the time, well, I'm doing everything right. I'm eating healthy foods. I'm training, blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying, okay, but you're not in a calorie deficit. And they go, no, but I, no, but I am. I definitely am. Sure, I'm, I'm eating this, I'm eating that. No, but you're not in a calorie deficit. I am. You're not. You're absolutely not. If you're not losing weight, unless there's a medical reason, you're not in a calorie deficit. So I would say, by the way, that that's 99% of people. There's a small percentage of people that there is a medical reason behind it. Everybody thinks they're the exception. They go, oh no, there's something wrong with me. I I can't lose weight. There's something else. I have to go to the doctor. I have to get it checked. 99% of people, it's just that they're not in a deficit. So even if you're eating good foods, that's not going to do it alone. You're possibly not creating a deficit. What happens a lot of the time with people is that they're eating too much food. It's not that there's anything wrong with the foods they're eating, but they're eating too much of it. So that, again, is not going to put them into a deficit. They're probably going to be in a surplus. If you combine that with, we'll say, somebody who works in an office, so they're not moving an awful lot during the day then they're not expending much energy. So therefore, again, it's very difficult to get them into a deficit. If they're not going to be up moving, even taking steps, and they're eating quite a bit of food, no matter how good the food is, it's going to be difficult to create a deficit. So I hope that's making sense to you guys. So expending more energy than you're taking in, that's the most important thing. Calorie deficit. Another question I get asked quite a bit, the old myth, should I not eat after six o'clock in the evening? It makes no difference really for weight loss. It doesn't really matter what time those calories are going in. The most important thing, again, is that you're in a deficit at the end of the day, that you're expending more energy than you're taking in. So if your calories go in at 11 in the morning or they go in at 8 o'clock in the evening, it doesn't really matter as long as you're keeping your overall calories for the day in check. Now, there is a couple of things I would say here about the 6 o'clock thing. There's a reason I wouldn't eat too much after 6. It's not really to do with weight loss. It's more so to give the digestive system time to shut down before you sleep. Because if you are tending to eat big meals at night, you're probably not going to sleep so well. I'm going to touch on sleep later on in the podcast, but that is one of the reasons I would say don't eat huge meals late at night is because you want to get a good night's sleep. So you want to have the digestive system give it time to shut down and to switch off, I suppose, as much as anything. So another reason I would say to be weary of the eating after six o'clock thing. Again, it's not a problem as long as you're keeping your overall calories in check. But what a lot of people struggle with is, and this especially people who are not training, they are sitting down in the evening watching EastEnders and binging all around them. 
and that's their problem time. And if that's you, I would suggest it might be a good idea to be conscious of the evening eating after six o'clock. Maybe just be not even having to not eat, but be conscious of what you're eating. Not mindlessly sitting down watching television and having biscuits and having ice cream and having cake and, you know, be conscious of it. So you might want to, again, maybe just bring the calories down a wee bit at that time. Not that you don't have to eat, but certainly been been more mindful of what you are eating as much as anything. Okay, so that's the first two points. Number one is set goals. Number two is operating a calorie deficit. And that is absolutely essential. If you're not doing that, you're not going to lose weight. I'm going to say it again just so you're very, very clear on it. Okay, number three, eat whole foods. This is one that's probably common knowledge for a lot of people. But if you can eat whole foods, you're going to reduce, obviously, the amount of processed food you're eating. And again, that's going to go a long way to putting you in a deficit because whole foods, natural foods, they tend to be pretty calorie dense. So you're not going to consume probably as much calories as if you were eating a lot of pizza and ready-made meals and biscuits and sweets and sugar and all that. Again, not that you're never going to have them, but not that you're having them all the time. So in moderation, if we can get whole foods in there as much as possible, you're on your way. So think about cooking everything from scratch. People overcomplicate things. People really overcomplicate things. They want to know what the best diet is. They want to try this. They want to try that. They want to try the other. The only thing that works long-term as far as I'm concerned is eating good, healthy, nutritious food and exercising. And it's the age-old thing. But why do people not do it? People don't do it because it's hard, because it's inconvenient, because it's not going to give them results within two days. You need to be patient, folks. You need to remember that if you're carrying weight, for many people, that's gone on over 10 years. It's not going to come off by Tuesday. So please be a little bit patient about it and do it the right way. If you want to change for life, whole foods, healthy foods, eat good foods and train. That's if you want to train for life. If you want to train for, or if you want to change for two weeks, do the fad diets, do the shakes, do the pills. They're going to put you starving for a couple of days and you might drop away. But what's going to happen once you start eating? Back back on it goes, probably with more for interest. So I'm here to create long-term change for people. And if that's not what you're looking for, if you're here for a quick fix, quick fix, this is probably not the podcast for you. So again, only tuning in, guys, if you're interested in long-term change, yeah? Whole foods as much as you can. So think about that. Cook everything from scratch. Take the time to do it. Not only will it help your weight loss attempts, but your energy levels will come up. You'll feel an awful lot better in yourself. Probably things like your skin and your hair and your nails, they'll all improve as well. So everything ties in. Think about whole foods. That's the third point. Number four, how you start the day is important. I would give a lot of thought to this one. How you start the day, because that tends to dictate how the rest of the day goes. There's still a lot of people out there starting the day with breakfast cereals. If you're starting the day with breakfast cereals, quite a lot of those cereals are high in sugar, high in salt. And typically what happens is people start the day with these high sugar breakfast cereals and then they're craving more sugar at their 11 o'clock break. So they're going to have a wee bar to keep them going. They're craving more sugar at lunchtime and it's a vicious cycle. So at some point we've got to break that cycle. But just as your body is going to crave sugar if you fill it with sugar, it's also going to crave good foods if you fill it with good foods. And that's going to be a hard cycle to break, especially if you're somebody who's consuming a lot of sugar. I've had clients, I remember one girl in particular who was consuming so much sugar I'll tell you the conversation we had actually at our initial consultation. She was telling me, she, we hadn't even really discussed her diet yet at this point, which was high in sugar, but she told me she was drinking 10 cups of tea a day. And I I kind of thought, oh, yeah, but it's not really 10 cups. Like you tell me it's 10, but that's an exaggeration. She goes, no, it is actually 10. She said, I'm easily drinking 10 cups a day. Uh, I said, oh, okay, it's a lot of caffeine, but is there sugar in that? She said, oh yeah, three spoons. And I nearly, my mouth dropped. I said, three spoons in each cup? Yeah, yeah. 
So I said, okay, so you're telling me effectively you're having 30 spoons a day before we've even looked at your at your your food. And that was that was a tough client. And I felt so sorry for her because getting her off the sugar was difficult. I know it sounds like it sounds like a bit of a drug addiction, doesn't it? Um, but what we did was reduce it. I couldn't make her go cold turkey in that. But even reducing it, it was so severe for her. It was going home from work with migraines and horrible withdrawal symptoms and her energy levels were just completely slumped for a while. But she came through it and we got her down to about two cups a day, two, three cups a day, still on her three spoons, but it was a million times better than what she was doing. So progress, not perfection is what I always say. But again, going back to how you start the day, that is important. So if you're that girl and you're starting the day with three spoons of sugar in your cup of tea and you're having a breakfast cereal or maybe you're having something else, wheat a big switch sugar on top of it, you're setting yourself up for failure before you've even gone out the door. So think about how you start the day. And the thing about breakfast is a lot of people don't eat breakfast and that's okay too. This is a very individual thing. The old phrase, breakfast being the most important meal of the day, I think has stuck in people's heads a little bit and they think, well, it's wrong to not eat breakfast. But remember, everybody operates differently and everybody's body clock is different and people eat at different times. So you might have enough food in you from the night before that you might actually not need breakfast early on. You might be fine until 11 o'clock. But the same rule applies when you have that meal at 11 o'clock. Make sure it's a good meal, that it's not something starting the day Again, it doesn't matter if it's later in the day you're starting, but that it's not it's not a sugary, high salt, you know, maybe starchy, greasy breakfast, that it's something that's decent for you. I always look for a good source of protein in breakfast. Good source of protein, source of carbohydrate, carbohydrates tend to set me up for the day. So I would typically look at the likes of most of my days, to be honest. I'm a creature habit. Most of my days start with a couple of boiled eggs and slices of brown bread, a slice of brown bread. That's my typical breakfast. And that sets me up for a pretty good day. And then you're looking at foods that are slow release energy that you feel a lot better. And it tends to, again, as I said, set you up for the day, keep you feeling good. So there's the top couple of points there. Number one, have goals. Number two, operate in a calorie deficit. Number three, eat whole foods. And number four, be conscious about how you start the day because that is very, very important. Number five, get colour on your plate. So this probably comes back to veg again. Look for colour on your plate. A lot of the problem nowadays is our foods are bland, they're grey in colour, they're beige in colour. And the beiger they tend to be, think about white bread, for example, the less nutrients that are in them, the less goodness that are in them, they tend to be quite processed, quite manufactured. And they're the type of things I suppose that we want to avoid as much as well, not avoid, but certainly minimise. So think about getting colour on your plate. And the thing about that is that when you get a lot of colour on your plate, it's going to put you naturally into a calorie deficit probably without even doing too much work. I found that there's so much talk at the moment around macros and micros and tracking calories and whatnot. I've never really tracked a calorie in my life. And I'm, I'm just very aware of how my body works. I know what it needs. But I also know that if I am going on a cut, for example, or I want to shed body fat... I will typically bring my calories down, but just by eating less food, it's still not that I'm tracking it. It's not that I'm obsessing over anything. It's just that I'm eating a little bit less or I'm being a bit more conscious about snacking and little things like that. But one of the most simple things you can do is getting those colors on your plate. Think about all the different colors of veg. Think about your fruit. And if you're eating those instead of eating, we'll say takeaways instead of eating high starchy foods instead of eating a lot of pastas a lot of potatoes not that you have to cut those out at all but maybe that for a lot of Irish people in particular I find that their typical dinner is loaded up with potatoes and there's a tiny little bit of coloured veg on the side 
what we actually want to do probably is flick that over. So I'm not for cutting out whole food groups at all. I'm not saying to you don't eat carbs, but I'm saying that probably a lot of Irish people eat a lot more than they actually need in my experience with clients I've worked with. So I would be looking at flipping that over that there's a lot of colors in there and maybe there's a small bit of potatoes or there's a small bit of brown rice that that's what you're looking for, as opposed to loading up on the starchy carbs, on the potatoes, on the breads, on the pastas. So get as much colour on your plate as you can. And as I said, without doing an awful lot, you're probably going to find that you're going to end up putting yourself into a deficit that way. So be aware of it. Colour on the plate. Number six, we're flying through here. Number six is the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule is something I pretty much live my life by. Effectively what it is, is that if you're eating good nutritious foods 80% of the time, that you will get away with the 20%. So you can have the odd treat, you can have the odd treat meal, you can have your odd bar of chocolate, you can have your odd takeaway, you can have your odd pizza, and it's absolutely fine. And this is something I encourage my clients to do all the time because what happens effectively with most people is that they start off on such a whirlwind, they want to do brilliantly, so they're all in for two weeks and they try to change everything and overhaul everything and be perfect. And as you know, perfect doesn't exist. You've heard me saying it a lot during the last few weeks. But those people do well for a week or two and then they crash and burn. And they crash and burn because what they're doing is not sustainable. The more you deprive yourself of something, the more you're going to want it. So if you tell yourself, I'm not allowed to have chocolate, I'm never having chocolate. And you're putting yourself into that frame of mind. What's going to happen? You're going to want chocolate more than ever. You really are. So I typically tend to say to people... If you're somebody who's eating chocolate, for example, every day of the week, maybe make little deals with yourself. Maybe say on a Wednesday or on a Saturday night or maybe on both nights, I'm going to sit down and have a bar of chocolate and a cup of tea and it's going to be absolutely fine and I'm going to have no guilt over it whatsoever. Because you know what, folks, that's not going to make a huge difference. If the rest of your week is good and you're eating good, healthy, nutritious foods, as we said, 80% of the time, those odd little treats are not going to hold you back. Genuinely, they're not. Another thing I do with clients, I get them to take a treat meal once a week. So again, this is one where I'd say to them on a Saturday night, if you want to have a pizza, go and do it. Absolutely fine. Because again, look at the whole week. Don't just look at that day. If you're in a deficit at the end of the week, you're going to be down on the scales. So I would look at my online clients and typically I have them eating five small meals a day, which sounds like a lot, but it's not really because they are small meals, a lot of little snacks and bits in there. So five meals a day, seven days a week, that's 35 meals a week. So if we have one meal where I say to them, go and have a pizza or go and have something you enjoy, that's one meal out of 35. That's not going to overhaul the 34 good meals. And that's what people tend to think. They're doing so well and think if I have this one meal, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be fat. And that's, it's madness, but that's how people think. And you have to change that thought process. You have to understand that there's no harm in having your odd treat. And all it's going to do is keep you going strong in six months time because you're keeping yourself sane. You're not depriving yourself of things. If you're depriving yourself of things, Again, as I said earlier, you'll do well for a week or two weeks, maybe three weeks, and then things will start to go off track and they'll unravel. I would prefer if we're taking a long-term approach and I can call you in six months' time and say, how are you doing? And you can say, I'm still doing great. And the only way you'll do that is if you're having your wee treats and you're not putting things off limits, I suppose. Um, Something just popped into my head there that I wanted to speak about as well in terms of that six months, that long-term change. That's the way you need to be thinking. You cannot be thinking about, let's get ready for the wedding that's coming up. Let's get ready for whatever, it's Christmas, whatever. You know, those are good motivators and you can use them as motivators, but they can't be the end goal. And this is where people struggle. They think, I'm going to do a six-week program. I do six-week online courses all the time, but the one thing I'm banging into those people all the time is that this is only your starting point. This is creating habits. This is your launch pad as much as anything to push you on for life. We're changing for life. This is your catalyst to change forever. It's not 
the next six weeks. And when people understand that, they do well. But I suppose there's a lot of, I'm not going to pick it on anybody here. There's other people online that do 28 day transformations and all this sort of stuff. And what happens if it's not explained to the clients and you're not getting them into that poor process of changing forever? Those clients look at 28 days and then I'm done. I've been fixed. I'm changed forever. That's how they think. And the problem there is that they're waiting for day 28 so that then they can come back to normal. What was their normal? That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for day 28 so they can go back to normal. They can go back to drinking wine on Friday nights and binge eating over the weekend and having takeaways every second day. And that's what they're waiting for. And if that's what you're waiting for, you haven't made any progress. You haven't changed anything about your life. All you've done is been disciplined for 28 days. But you you have to start thinking long term. You have to start thinking beyond that 28 days, beyond that six weeks, thinking this is for creating habits. This is creating routines. This is how I'm going to put foundations in place. And then I can start changing forever. And that needs to be the thought process. It really, really does. And that's one thing I'm so strong on, guys, because there's so much out there online now. You're going to see it again, especially in January. You're going to see an awful lot of it. Everything and anything has been sold. People would sell their granny for a quick buck these days. So don't fall for it, guys. The only thing, again, long term is healthy eating and training. And I come back to it time and again. So that was number six was the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time you're eating good foods, 20% you're having your treats. Absolutely fine. That's what I prefer. I ask people all the time to be at around 80-85% rather than 100%. If you're at 100% all the time, it ain't going to last. So I don't want you to be perfect. All right, let's recap because we're halfway through. We have 12 steps. I've given you six. Number one was set clear, concise goals. Number two was operate in a calorie deficit. Number three, eat whole foods. Number four, how you start the day typically dictates how the day goes. Number five, get colour on your plate. Number six was the 80-20 rule. Number seven is the simplest step I'm going to give to you yet, I would say, and it's one that people overlook because they think it's too simple. Get your daily steps up. It's the simplest thing you can do and it works so well, guys. Get your daily steps up. This is one thing I do myself all the time and people know I'm an advanced level trainer. If I am looking to cut body fat, typically the way my training works, during the winter I'll lift weights a lot, so I'm gaining quite a bit of muscle. And then maybe during the summer I'll decide I'm going to do a shred because maybe I'm going on holidays or I just want to feel better about myself. So my training is periodized really. It's not the same all year round. But when I decide I'm going to do a cut, I'm going to go on holidays. And again, as I say, this can be used as a short-term motivator just to keep you on track. It's not the end goal. You're not going on holidays and then finishing forever. When I decide I'm going on holidays, I'm going to do a cut. One thing I will do is make sure I'm hitting at least 15,000 steps every single day. And that works so well for me. Every single day, I hold myself accountable. Make sure I hit 15,000 steps. Just getting that cardio work up. Now, this is not in my training. This is outside of that. It's just something that I do that's very simple. Physically, it's not difficult to do. Anybody can do it. The recommended is 10,000. So that's probably a good starting point for you was 10,000 steps a day. And you know, there's no excuse for anybody nowadays. People think about, I need the Garmin. I need the fancy watches, the cost of fortune. You don't. Most smartphones nowadays actually have apps on them that track your steps. So... Yeah, it's a little bit inconvenient, maybe having your phone in the pocket all the time. But you will be amazed how much it switches on your brain when you hold yourself accountable with steps. I'm even like when I'm doing my cut, I love that phone in my pocket. And sometimes I'm setting up a class and I'll make sure the phone is in my pocket while I'm going just moving, moving equipment from one place into another just so that I can get the steps up. And it's amazing how much it switches the brain on. And it's something I would definitely recommend people to do, definitely as a starting point. If you find over a long period of time it becomes obsessive, then obviously don't do it. 
and that is something that can happen I typically don't do it over a long period of time anyway I do it for that phase maybe four or six weeks when I want to make a real push on the body fat and I want to get it down but it's one of the most effective things you can do and people have this idea in their head that you know training needs to be super complicated and I have to pay a fortune for this really complicated sophisticated plan that's what's going to get me results because simple is not enough but that's just such a, a nonsense mindset simple works and I wish people would get it back to basics Get your steps up, guys. I promise you it'll make a huge difference. If you're at, there's people that are as low as probably two or 3,000 steps a day. Typically people who are in sedentary jobs where they're sitting a lot of the time. Guys, get it up to 10. Make time to go for a walk on your lunch break. And all this cliched stuff, park the car at the far end of the car park and walk down. Get the stairs instead of the elevator. All that stuff makes a big difference. And start tracking and then it becomes it becomes effective you start becoming a lot more conscious of it you start becoming a lot more aware of it so your daily steps that's number seven get your daily steps up number eight let's keep it moving time is ticking on number eight if it doesn't challenge you it doesn't change you this is in relation to your training in relation to the daily steps i don't particularly look at that as all that challenging it's challenging for some people if they're not doing anything at the moment for most people it's it's fairly okay but in terms of training if it doesn't challenge you it doesn't change you if you're a higher level trainer you've got to a certain point doing the, the steps and all that is is has worked and then it levels off and you need to do something a little bit more, you need to start challenging the body. And this is where people go wrong. They don't give the body a reason to change. You've got to give the body a reason to change, otherwise it's not going to change. So you've got to keep putting a new stimulus on the body. Um, There's another client just coming to mind here who had, oh, it was probably, when did I have her? Probably six or seven years, uh, maybe six years ago at this stage. She came to me and she told me she was training quite a lot and she couldn't understand why she wasn't making progress. And again, I was saying to her, you're, you're not in a calorie deficit. I just said, no, I am. I'm training every day. I'm running five days a week. And I was asking her what run she was doing. She said she does 10 laps at the pitch beside her, the GA pitch. And I thought, okay, that's good. Good start. And she was telling me then that, you know, it's just not working for me. It worked at the, at the start. It was doing okay, but I'm not making progress anymore. And I said to her, how long have you been doing this? And she said, uh, well, I started about two years ago. And look, in fairness to her, the intention was good. You know, she was coming from a place of wanting to make progress. She was making the most of what she knew in that getting out running would help her. And it did help her. But there does come a point where that's going to plateau and you need something a little bit more. What happened there effectively was when she did that run the first time, she did the 10 laps, she would have burned X amount of calories. So went quite well for, you know, she was making progress. But when she does that run, we'll say on the 50th time, the body has adapted and that run is easy. It's not challenging anymore. So therefore, the body is not having to work as hard to recover. Therefore, the calorie expenditure is not as high as it was on the first run. So by doing the same run over and over and over, her progress has leveled out long ago. So you've got to find a way to keep challenging the body, to keep making it respond rather than going through the motions doing, well, I've done my half an hour. That's me done. Fair play to me. I did it. And people turn up to classes like that all the time. I see it the whole time where people come in, they're convincing themselves, well, you know, I've been here, I've done the work. And genuinely, there's people that, yeah, they've been there, but that's all they've done. You know, and they're not pushing themselves. They're not challenging themselves. They're not getting out of comfort zone. They're lifting the same weight at the same reps for two years. Do you know, so you need to keep challenging yourself. You need to keep pushing out the comfort zone. If you don't give the body a reason to change, it's not going to change. It's going to get comfortable. So the body makes progress by working against resistance. This is typically in a gym environment I'm talking about now. Think about your, your training program. Make sure you've got a good training program. It's worth paying somebody to coach you in that if you're totally inexperienced. 
because again you're going to have people who are in the gym doing the same thing for the same two years doing the same workout same weight same reps so you want to be making progress you want what we call progressive overload i've spoken about this in the podcast before progressive overload in that maybe you're lifting a heavier weight maybe you're doing less rest time between sets maybe you are taking more time under tension maybe you're just doing a different exercise to hit the same muscle group so there's loads of different ways we can do it but progressive overload is important if you want to keep moving forward now again this is only i'm talking about people who want to make progress here i'm not talking about people who are just there for their bit of exercise and they're happy with that because they enjoy it and it keeps them feeling good that's absolutely fine too that's and again i'm not criticizing that because i think it's great that you're doing that and if you're happy with where you're at 100 brilliant what i'm talking about is people who are making progress progressive overload has to come into it so if it doesn't challenge it it doesn't change it in terms of weight loss, let's bring it back to weight loss because that's effectively what the podcast is about. Um, let's look at that runner again who's out doing her 10 laps of the pitch. How could she have changed that? How could she have made that different? Well, firstly, maybe she could have changed her route because her body is adapted to the same route. It's probably a nice flat route. It's GA pitch, so there's probably no hills. Maybe she could have brought in hills into her route. Maybe she could have looked to do an interval training where it's a faster pace. She could have picked up the pace for maybe three minutes and brought it back down to a slower pace for one minute and keep that alternating, so it's effectively interval training. Um, she could have brought resistance training into her workout, which is what we did do, because her body was so used to doing the same thing all the time. The great thing about resistance training is that when you gain a little bit of lean muscle, the more lean muscle you have, the more fat you're going to burn. So it's going to speed up the fat burning process. But you have to bear in mind with resistance training that you're gaining muscle. Therefore, if you're basing all of your progress on a weighing skills, that's going to be challenging because you're getting muscle. So you might not see the scales changing as much. There could be a week you come along and you think I've lost loads of weight today. Clothes are hanging off me and you step on the scales and it's not showing you what you want. And then you start doubting yourself and suddenly everything goes out the window. That's a problem. And that's what I see happening with people all the time. This is where I have a little bit of an issue with the likes of weight management groups. A lot of, a lot of the time, all of the time, everything is based on the weighing skills. And that is an issue. If you're looking at things like progress pictures, if you're looking at tape measurements, if you're looking at body fat percentages, if you're looking at, again, we mentioned it earlier, having training goals, you're seeing progress in all those areas. So you could gain muscle and you could be in incredible shape. And I have seen this happen where people have gone into slimmer work, for example, and they've come back and they can't understand what's going on because the scales has not changed or maybe it's gone up. There's one that always sticks in my mind. It's a client... She wasn't a client of mine. I was running fitness classes at the time and she was doing Slimmer World and she was doing really, really well. She had lost about three stone over a period of time. But it got to the point where she was in incredible shape. She was looking great. And uh, to be honest, I was so happy for her. I just couldn't believe how well she was doing. But one night she came into a class and she said to me, Alan, I don't know what's going wrong. I'm doing everything right, but I'm not getting anywhere. And I said, what do you mean you're not getting anywhere? Like, you look incredible. Everybody is saying it to you. Everybody's telling you, you know, you're, you know, you're looking great. You know, you're healthy. You know, you're doing well. You know, you're in shape. I said, well, I went to Slimming World today and the scales was up. And effectively what happened was this girl had stood on the scales and she got quite upset because I think the person running the, the group not that they had a go at her, but they couldn't tell her why the scales was up. And they were saying, oh, God, I don't know what that is. I don't know what you're doing wrong. And I think she was nearly made to feel like she was the reason that there wasn't progress being made or she hadn't done something right. And she said to me, do you know what it is? Have you any idea? And I said, I know exactly what it is. All that's happening is you're in here lifting weights with me. You're doing a bit of cardio work, but you're gaining muscle. If you were actually to monitor your tape measurements, monitor your body fat percentage, monitor progress pictures, you're going to see a huge difference. 
So please don't get upset about the scales. This poor girl had actually cried in front of the group. And to me, that was something that should never, ever happen. And I was going, it's not good enough. It's absolutely not good enough. She shouldn't be put in that position. But it's important that I think people who are running those sort of groups, that they understand how the body works. They understand how training works. They understand that things like muscle gain will say for women, their menstrual cycle, all this stuff affects what's going to happen on a weighing scales. But coming back to training, if there is resistance training in there, make sure you're monitoring more than scales is the long and the short of that story. So, you know, scales, yes, it's one way of monitoring progress, but it's not the only way. And if it's something you're putting all your values into, it's something that can be taken away. And it's something that could lead to potential upset and lead to you maybe not feeling so good about yourself. So please monitor as much stuff as you can. That's only one way to monitor and it's not the only way. So I'm getting a little bit sidetracked there. Let me run through the steps again because we've eight done, four to go and nearly there, I promise. Number one, set clear, concise goals. Number two, make sure you're operating in a calorie deficit. Number three, eat whole foods. Number four, how you start your day typically dictates how the day will go. Number five, make sure there's color on your plate. Number six, Follow the 80-20 rule. Number seven, get your daily steps up. Number eight, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Number nine, this is one that gets overlooked all the time. So let's talk about it. Sleep and stress. Sleep and stress. These greatly impact your weight loss efforts and you may not even realize it, but they greatly impact them. What happens here, if you're not sleeping enough, if you're not stressed or if you're, you're overstressed, the body releases a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. If cortisol levels in the body are high, it becomes very, very difficult to shed fat. So there's a whole knock-on effect. Let's take sleep first off. A lot of people out there are not sleeping very well. I think we live in an era where we're constantly switched on. Our brains are switched on all the time. We're in work mode a lot of the time. We're highly stressed and it's starting to show in our society. We're having a pretty sick society, to be honest with you. Illness is rampant. People are stressed. Mental health issues are an all-time high. And there's a reason for that. It's the way we're living our lives. I firmly believe it's the way we're living our lives. And people, a lot of the time, sleep is being sacrificed. Sleep has been sacrificed for other stuff. How much sleep should you be getting? Typically between seven and nine hours is what's recommended. I get eight hours every night and I feel great for it. And why do I get eight hours? Because I prioritize it. I really prioritize it because I understand how important it is. If you're not sleeping well, we mentioned there stress hormones are high, cortisol levels are high. Also, the next day you're going to find your food choices are not so good. It's Studies have shown People who are in a state of sleep deprivation are not getting their full amount of sleep. They tend to go for quick fix foods during the day and they tend to actually be hungrier and they actually want more foods. But what they usually go for is sugary foods, quick fixes, caffeine fixes. They go for greasy foods. They go for starchy foods. So ultimately what happens is we're talking earlier about getting into a calorie deficit. Those are the sort of foods that are high calorie that are going to push you into a surplus and therefore you're probably going to start gaining weight as opposed to losing it. So make sure your sleep is in check. Sleep is something a lot of people are struggling with. What can you do to get better quality of sleep? Because it's not just about how long you sleep. It's the quality of your sleep as well. Particularly, you want fairly good unbroken sleep. So we want seven to nine hours. How do we do it? I would say the first thing is make sure you are getting to bed on time. You've heard it all the time. You know, it's similar going to bed time, similar getting up time, have a nice steady routine. That does work. What I find with a lot of people is that they're staying up too late because they are saying, well, you know, I don't get much sleep, but it's because I'm so busy. For a vast amount of people, they're not busy. They're sitting down watching TV or they're scrolling through Facebook or they're on Netflix and they're doing that till one in the morning. 
that's why you're not getting enough sleep. So it's about prioritizing your sleep and making sure that you are getting as much as you can. I understand there's going to be times in your life when you can't get as much. Obviously, people with young children and things like that, that's different. But for the most part, you have to look at getting as much as you can. If you have the option to get eight hours sleep, absolutely do it and prioritize it. People tell me again that they don't need it. I, I don't believe that. You know, I worked with a business mentor a few years back and she told me she was operating on four, four and a half hours sleep every night. And I said to her, that's not good for you. And she said, no, it's fine. I feel great. Like, I don't need it. And what I said to her was, you're young. And she goes, oh, I'm 32 now. I was going, you're young. You know, she doesn't think long term. I'm going, that is going to catch up with you. Sleep deprivation is highly linked to a lot of medical problems as well. So you're going to have a lot of health issues with it. But with her as well, I was making the point to her that you think you're you're okay because you don't know any different. But you're not actually operating anywhere near your full potential if you're not getting enough sleep. So it has a huge knock-on effect. So make sure you're prioritizing sleep. So how do we do it? Yes, number one, get to bed on time. Number two, I would say switch off all screens and all kind of highlights, dim the lights and everything, maybe about two hours before you go to bed. So you're not stimulated when you go to bed. Those LED lights from the screens and that, they sharpen the brain, they keep you awake. So get those all switched off. I would say get your phone out of your room as another step. That's something that keeps people awake all night is having the phones beside them. So it's one I would say people are reluctant to do. I need the alarm clock. No, you don't. Don't be so tight. Go and spend a tenner on an alarm clock. You don't need your phone for it. So get the phone out of the room. It makes a big difference as well. Or even leave it at the bottom of the bed or somewhere that you can't see it or that it's not in, in contact with you. You don't need the phone in the room. I mentioned it earlier as well. Don't eat a huge meal before you go to sleep. Give your digestive system time to switch off. Don't obviously have stimulants late at night that likes a coffee and that. I think everybody knows about at this stage. If you're drinking those late at night, obviously it's going to keep you awake as well. So all those little things make the room as dark as possible. All those little things help. So get a good quality of sleep. Then we look at stress as well. Get your downtime. Make sure you're not all about work. You've got time off. There's time to yourself. You're finding time to do the things you enjoy, whether that's to go out for a walk or that's to meet friends for a coffee or that's to go for a game of tennis or whatever it is find time to do the things you enjoy keep those stress levels in check because you think this is all about stress it's not it's about your weight loss as well if there's reasons behind your weight loss stolen these could be stuff that you haven't considered and it's stuff that a lot of people don't consider but it is important and it does make a big difference okay so that's sleep and stress number 10 accountability this is a massive one accountability is something that you will not probably do well unless you have a lot of people again start off I'm going to lose weight. I've no plan. I don't know how much it is. I've no particular goal, but I also have no accountability plan. You need an accountability plan. If you're serious about getting results, you need an accountability plan. I do this in business. I take on business coaches. I have marketing people, people that are going to hold me accountable and make sure I do the work that I say I'm going to do. Without that, the results are never as high. So what are we looking at in terms of accountability? If you can afford a coach, you can afford a personal trainer. Brilliant. Go and do it. Absolutely great way absolutely if you can afford it if you can't do it on the cheap think about could i get a training buddy that we can hold each other accountable now when i'm saying that make sure that that training buddy is on a similar level to you and that they are actually as driven as you please don't take your best friend and them kind of saying oh yeah sure fine sure if you're making me do not take those people because they're only going to hold you back if they're not as driven about it if they're not as passionate about it as you are they are absolutely no help to you and they're going to actually hold you back it doesn't matter if they're your best friend i'm not saying you don't have to talk to them i'm saying meet them for a coffee meet them for whatever it is that you do but do not bring them on your training journey if they don't want to do it because they're only going to hold you back and you ain't going to make progress so find a good training buddy somebody who's going to keep you accountable somebody who's very into it somebody who's as passionate about it and who is as as dedicated to it as you are otherwise they ain't going to be any help to you so accountability wise again it might not have to be a training buddy but it can be somebody that 
you know is going to ask you questions about it. You know what I always say is a great one to ask here. We'll say Mary from work who loves to gossip. She's the best person in the world to hold yourself accountable to. You tell Mary you're going to do a weight loss journey. Mary's going to go and tell everybody you're doing a weight loss plan. And what she's going to do, she's going to come back through. It's time to go, how's that weight loss plan going? And if you say, it didn't go so well, I gave in after three days. Mary's going to tell everybody you gave in after three days. So tell Mary you're doing your plan because she's going to make you do the work. So people like that, think about accountability. The more accountability you can get, the better you're going to do. As I said earlier, if you can pay for a coach, if you can pay for a trainer, do it. I would love to have you. Just a little plug. Get in touch with me if you need accountability, if you need help, if you need support. But it doesn't have to be. If you can't afford a coach, get somebody around you to hold you accountable. It does work. Okay, number what are we on? We're on number 11. Nearly there. Two to go, guys. Two to go. Stick with me. Number 11. Maintenance is progress. Maintenance is progress. Please put that into your brain. Here's what happens. People have this idea in their head that I have to lose weight and I have to be in a state of losing weight all year round, 12 months a year, 365 days a year. I should be losing weight. And if I'm not losing weight, I'm a failure. That's what people think. Crazy, isn't it? That's how people think. What you actually need to do, I spoke earlier about how my training is periodized. You need to think about doing something similar. You don't need to be thinking about, I should be losing weight all year round. And if I'm not, I'm a failure. You need to be thinking about, I'm going to push hard for the next six or eight weeks. And maybe then I'm going to give myself a little bit of downtime. So you can go into what we call a maintenance period where you're no longer in a calorie deficit. You're just been happy to stay where you are. And it's important to do this because what you can do here is you can say, I'm going to be a little bit more lenient with my food, give myself a little bit of leeway. I'm going to pull back on the training a little bit, maybe for a month, maybe for whatever, because you're giving yourself a little break physically and mentally and you're letting yourself recover. And then you can say, now I'm ready to go and push on again. That's why I say maintenance is progress, because what happens for most people is that they don't think about this. They think about continually losing weight and they push themselves to the point where they're absolutely exhausted, to the point where they've been in a deficit for so long that their energy levels are slumping, that their body has been training hard and is now in a state of maybe overtraining, where they're fatigued, where maybe they're picking up injuries and they just need some time to recover. And what happens with these people is that they get to that point where they're so wrecked that they forget about everything, that they just go, fuck this excuse my language, and everything goes out the window. Their training goes out the window. Their food goes out the window. They typically slide back into old habits. They go back to where they were, eating the way they used to eat, not doing their training anymore. And before long, that weight is piling on and it's back to where it was. That's the worst case scenario. This is why I say maintenance is progress. Because if you're the person who has done well, and then you make an informed, educated, clever decision to go into maintenance, and you're holding it there, that's progress, as opposed to the person who has come off that probably pushing themselves hard for a long time, doing it for too long, trying to do it forever, and then the weight goes back on. So think about that, maintenance is progress. But think about this logically, folks. You can't be forever making progress. You can't forever be in a state of losing weight, because your body's natural instinct is to keep you alive. So at some point, it's going to start holding on to that fat for dear life and not wanting to let it go. And that's okay. That's normal. Its function is to keep you alive. But think about it, guys. If I say to you, your friend Betty has been on her weight loss program. How's Betty doing? She's doing great. Oh, she's doing fantastic. And I'm not doing so well at all. How's Betty doing? Oh, she's still losing weight. She's still losing weight. I come back three years later. How's Betty doing? Oh, Betty's passed away. She was doing so well that she had nothing left and now she's gone. 
And that's, and I'm joking about it, but that's how it is. That's how you guys are thinking about it. You're thinking about, I should be losing weight all the time. That's the definition of success. If I'm forever losing weight, that's what you're thinking. But that's the wrong way to think. You need to think about short bursts. You need to think about, I'm going to do what, I'm going to go hard on it now for six or eight weeks. Then I'm going to let myself recover for a while. And that's absolutely fine. I'm going to be okay with that. And then I'm going to go again. Okay, so be clever about it, guys. Please start being a little bit more clever about it. Think long term. Stop thinking about, I need to lose two stone by Tuesday. Stop thinking about that. Because the time is going to pass anyway. Six months is going to be come and go whether you like it or not. So why not just take your time and lose that weight over time and have progress made in six months rather than making progress, huge progress in the next two weeks and in six months been right back where you are now. Okay? Here's the thing. This is what I say to people all the time. If you're averaging between one to two pounds a week, that's all I'm looking for, for long-term sustainable progress. Let's put that into numbers. We'll say you are averaging one pound a week for the next year. That's where you're working out on average. Okay. So again, there's going to be periods where you're losing more and then maybe you go into maintenance. But over the course of a year, if it averages out at one pound a week, I meet people all the time. One pound is not enough for them. One pound is not enough. I can't, I have to be losing more than that. I have to be losing three or four pounds or it's not good enough. And typically they're the people that never make progress. If you're losing one pound a week, there's 52 weeks in the year. That would be 52 pounds. Think about that, guys. 52 pounds. What's that? Nearly three stone, four stone. That would make a massive difference to anybody's life. And please don't try to tell me otherwise. That would make a massive difference to anybody's life. And that's by taking a long-term sustainable approach. That's how you change your life. You don't change your life by losing six pounds this week and five pounds next week and then being back to square one this time next year or maybe being worse off this time next year. As I said, the time is going to pass anyway. So why not take your time and do it properly and change your life, change your life for good. Okay, so that was number 11, maintenance is progress. Number 12, our last one you know I'm big on mindset guys you know I'm big on mindset today I decided I was going to look at the practical aspects because I talk about mindset every week but all the stuff I've gone through now that's the practical stuff that's the stuff that is going to get your results but I believe mindset is the biggest factor of all so there's this phrase you know it's 80% food it's 20% training I always say no it's 80% food it's 20% training but it's 100% mindset because you can know everything but if you're not in the right frame of mind you won't do well so number 12 is mindset related and I could have picked 5,000 different things out of this for the last point but I'm bringing it down to what I think is the most important one that is personal responsibility personal responsibility it's on you if you want to change your life it's on you and you have to accept that I meet so many people who are making excuses, who are finding other people to blame, who cannot accept that it's their fault. Let's be honest here, folks. If you're overweight, barn that there's no medical condition. If you're overweight, it's because you've been eating too much food and not exercising enough. You've been in a calorie surplus. So you have to accept responsibility for that. You have to say, I'm the person that put that food in my mouth. I'm the person who chose to stay in bed instead of getting up for a run. I'm the person who chose to sit down watching soaps for three hours in the evening rather than going out training. Again, there's no judgment in it. I'm not being critical. All I want you to do is accept responsibility because if you don't do that, you cannot move forward. Because when you accept responsibility, then you start to realise that it's up to you and it's in your hands to change it, that you are in control, you're in charge of your life. And that's incredibly empowering. That's incredibly empowering. When you do that, you're going to see that you can do whatever you want. You can change anything. But you have to accept that it's on you. Personal responsibility. And this is something I think as a generation, we're lacking. Today, in today's society, there's we hear about the snowflake generation all the time. I do feel... 
I do honestly feel we've become very precious over the last few years. I think we've become very precious. I think we've become, I think we've become a little bit soft. Been perfectly honest with you, and we're looking for, we're looking for ways of making ourselves feel better, which is fine, but not at the expense of our health. You know, I think we're so quick to say it's not my fault. It's my coach's fault. I couldn't do anything because it was raining. You know, there's always an excuse. There's always this. There's always that. But the long and the short of it is if you start taking responsibility and start asking the question, could I do more? Was there something I could have done differently? What part in this did I play? Then you can start changing things. Then you can start changing your life because you're going to look for a different way to do it the next time. You're going to identify, well, this is where I went wrong. This is what happened. But if I change that, I'm going to bring about a different result the next time. So personal responsibility is absolutely huge. And even now, like we see the government putting out a sugar tax. We see calories going on menus in restaurants. I've spoken about this before, but it's one that from day one, I just thought to myself, that's not going to work because there's no element of personal responsibility in it. Again, put a sugar tax on food. When did we become kids that, when did we become a nanny state that we need to, we need to be told, we need to be told we have to put tax on this because it's the only way of stopping you from consuming it. Do people not know that high sugar foods are bad for them? Do people not know that putting high sugar foods in their bodies is leading to health problems and is obviously causing them to gain weight as well? People know that, but they're not willing to take responsibility. It's easier to blame somebody else. So the government are going to put a sugar tax on it. They're going to pull in money from it. Did it make any difference? I would argue not, because I think it's like cigarettes and alcohol. If people are consuming a lot of it, paying an extra 50 cents is not going to put them off. So personal responsibility comes in. Second thing then we spoke about there is putting calories on menus in restaurants. In theory, maybe a good idea, but I would argue that when people are out, they don't really care how much calories they're consuming. And I would encourage them not to care because I spoke about it earlier when we have a ready 20 rule. If you're eating out, that's one meal a week. Make sure the rest of the week is good and you're laughing. So this is the point I make. The problem is not that Saturday night when you're having a meal out. So putting calories on, on menus is not going to make that much difference because that's not the problem. The problem is the day-to-day. That's where the real issues lie for most people. It's not that treat that happens once every three months where you go out to eat on a Saturday night or maybe it's once a month. It doesn't matter because that's not going to make a big difference. So don't be too concerned about the calories in those meals. Therefore, I'd argue that it's it's not that relevant putting the... Okay, it's great if you're if you're really strict. Maybe if you're going for a bodybuilding competition and you're strict on your calories and your macros, it's useful to have it there. But for the average Joe Soap, I would argue the main problem is in our day-to-day lives. It's not on the odd occasion that we eat out. So we can, again, blame the government and we can blame everybody around us or we can do what I always recommend and that's saying... I'm just going to block out everybody else. I don't care what the government are doing. I don't care what the person beside me is doing. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to do what works for me and I'm going to create my own little blueprint here and I'm going to accept responsibility for myself. And when I accept responsibility for myself, I put myself in control. And when I'm in control, I can change my life rather than relying on other people to do it for me. So personal responsibility is absolutely fundamental, guys. You have to understand that. You have to start to get that. I can't do it for you. I can help you. I will do as much as I possibly can to help you. And any good coach, any good trainer will do that. But at the end of the day, your results are going to be directly in alignment to your decisions and your actions. Let me say that again. Your results are going to be in direct alignment to your decisions and your actions. And maybe even your non-actions, the things you're avoiding doing. So please be okay with that. Please understand that. I'm not trying to give out to anybody here. I'm not criticizing anybody here. But I am saying if there's not a level of personal responsibility, you are not going to make progress. 
That I can promise you. So that's this week's weight loss episode, guys. Just to give you a little heads up, um, some of the stuff I do. Because again, there's going to be people listening to this who have taken it all in and they're not going to do anything about it. For the love of God, please, guys, do something about it. There's no point in sitting there taking all the information and going, that's me, that's relevant, that's relevant. But then you go away and forget about it. What I want you to do is take action now. Within the next 24 hours, do something. You don't have to do everything we've spoken about, but do something. Just create momentum. That's all you have to do. Just take that first step, do something small, create a little bit of momentum, and then you'll build on it from there. Okay? So just a little bit of housekeeping to finish up. I do run online weight loss courses. I still do them. The Six Weeks to Happiness course is nearly always booked out. It's hugely popular. I'm only going to run one more before Christmas. So I'm going to do one starting on the 4th of November. And that means we're finishing up just around kind of mid-November coming into Christmas party time. And we'll have you hopefully looking and feeling great. So give me a shout if you're interested in getting involved with that. Also, the stuff I've spoken about today, the weight loss stuff, I'm writing a book on it at the minute. So I'm doing a book which has yet to have a title, but I'm writing a weight loss book. It's mostly around mindset, but I will put in a lot of the practical stuff that we've spoken about today too. So I think there's going to be a huge amount of value in that for people. I'm hugely excited about it. I'm really enjoying writing about it because I've found just so much ideas and concepts coming out of me. The book is going to be too big. I'm going to have to actually cut stuff out of it. It might even end up in two books. Who knows? But please keep an eye out for that book when it comes out. We're hoping to put it out next year and you'll see loads of promotion around it on Facebook and on Instagram and LinkedIn and all the rest. So keep an eye out for it. But for the moment, if you need help on your weight loss journey, get in touch with me and I will do my very, very best for you. That's it for this week, guys. Have an excellent week and we'll talk again very soon.